Now, Jose and I had just a wonderful time ministering to Madagascar. And I want you to understand that one of the reasons that we go after certain parts of the world as a church is because those parts are unreached, but also because those parts are under-resourced. Here you have pastors that are really untrained and they're under-resourced and we want to go and serve them. So we, we pull them together and then we feed them physically for the whole time of the conference and we feed them spiritually. They come, usually when they come, they're, 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 they're discouraged. You know, they're, a lot of them are thinking about quitting. I've heard pastors tell me many times, I was, gonna, I was already decided I was going to quit, but I thought I'd give God one more chance. And so after the conference, they are revived, restored, strengthened, trained, and they can't wait to get back to their city and do ministry. So we praise God for that. But as we've been doing this series on God's grand story, the story of the Bible, and we're kind of looking at the Old Testament and how it flows, one thing that I've seen, the more I've studied each character in the Bible, is how few leaders finish well in the Bible. Even think of some of your heroes of the faith. How few of those actually finish well. And that's always, that's always kind of bothered me. And so I want to talk a little bit about that today. How can we make sure that we finish well? I want to take one obvious example for us, one that we'd all considered a great leader, but one who also didn't finish well, and his name is Moses. And I want to just take a look again at what happened at the end of Moses' life. Deuteronomy chapter 32, starting in verse 48. The Lord spoke to Moses that very same day, saying, Go up to this mountain of the Abram, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and look at the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the sons of Israel for possession. Then die on the mountain where you ascend, and be gathered to your people, as Aaron your brother died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. Because you broke faith with me in the midst of the sons of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin, because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the sons of Israel. For you shall see the land at a distance, but you shall not go there into the land which I'm given the sons of Israel. I want you to notice, he says, because you broke faith with me, and because you did not treat me as holy, I want you to notice the connection between those two. What, exactly what did he do? Numbers chapter 20, starting verse 7, this is a... Again, Israel, Israelites are in the wilderness and they need water. The previous time they needed water, Moses was told by God to take his staff and to strike the rock with the staff of God. The water flowed. This time God is going to tell him something different to do. 
Numbers 20, verse 7, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the rod and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation and speak to the rock before their eyes that it may yield us water. You shall thus bring water to them out of the rock and let the congregation and their beasts drink. So Moses took the rod before the Lord just as he had commanded him and Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock, and he said to them, now you, you got to just imagine some, some anger in this. Listen now, you rebels. Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and their beasts drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Again, I want you to notice this connection. He says, because you have not believed me to treat me as holy. There's a connection between unbelief and not treating God as holy, not treating God respectfully. See, if you believe the truth about God, how holy he is, then you would treat him respectfully. And it is always disrespectful to disobey God. Because when we disobey God, we're saying that my way is better than your way. So I'm going to do my way. That's totally disrespecting God. And Moses finds out how you treat God matters greatly. And there's no exceptions to the rule, even him. I mean, think about this. If anyone could have thought that they were an exception to the rule and get cut extra slack, so to speak, by God, it would have been Moses at this point. Leviticus 10, 3 says this, but by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, God says. Before all the people, I will be honored. No exceptions to the rule. It doesn't matter if you led the people of God for 40 years. It doesn't matter if you're the humblest man on the face of the earth. It doesn't matter if, you know, you had meetings with God face to face like no one else. There's no exceptions to the rule. It's always disrespectful to God to disobey God. But I want you to see that disrespect is always grounded in unbelief. I also want you to notice what God says through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13. Look at this. It says, remember that I, the Lord Almighty, am holy. I am the one you must fear. So if we regard God as holy, then we will fear him. But what does it mean to fear the Lord? To fear the Lord means that we realize that we're going to have to give an account to him one day. So to fear God means that I'm going to live my life in light of that day of accounting, that day of judgment causes me to be very sober about how I live my life because I'm going to have to give an account 
That's what it means to live in the fear of the Lord. Let me give you an example of a leader who does finish well in what he says. Because I think what he says is going to be helpful to all of us if we want to finish well. And I'm talking about the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 through 11. Here's what he says. He says, therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing the fear of the Lord, knowing I've got to give an account of the judgment seat of Christ. I want to act in a way that is, is pleasing to him, pleasing to the Lord. So Paul's saying, I live my life in the fear of the Lord. He's saying, I live my life with that day of judgment on, the, like, on my front lobes of my brain. I'm thinking about that day. That is my motivation for how I'm going to live my life. I'm going to live in light of that, that, that day. So to treat God as holy is to live in the fear of the Lord, is to live your life with a belief, with faith, a belief that you're going to stand before God one day and give an account. And that, that confidence of that day coming causes you to want to treat God respectfully and obey him. Most don't finish well because they fall into unbelief. I think, I think especially leaders who have led for a long time, it's easy to think that you, have some, you, know, you can take special liberties with God. You have, you know, or you've kind of paid your dues and you can do things that, you know, and get away with things because you and God are kind of special in not realize, wait a second, God is still holy. No matter how long you've walked with him, we must treat him respectfully. And that means we must obey him. So Apostle Paul, he gets toward the end of his life in ministry. And he says something that is so helpful. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8, he says this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. See, I think, I think Paul, and, and again, I, this is just my speculation. I think when he says this, I think he's thinking of all those leaders in the Old Testament that he knew of, taught of, that did not finish well. And he's saying, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me a crown, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So Paul is looking forward to this judgment seat of Christ, this day of commendation and reward for Christians. He's looking forward to that. He's saying that 
in light of that day, that is why I kept fighting the fight and didn't stop fighting. That's why I ran the race and didn't quit it. That's why I kept the faith, no matter what was against me, because I'm looking forward to that day. That day. So I want to suggest this morning to all of us who want to finish well, I believe all of us would raise our hands and say, I want to finish well. That we, there is a fight we have to fight. And we can't stop fighting. And there is a race we must finish. We can't stop running this race. And there's a faith we've got to keep. And so I want to just, I want to reflect on that just a little bit and break it down. First of all, let's, I want to reflect a little bit about the fight that you must fight and I must fight. What is the fight? Colossians 1.16 basically says that all things were created by Christ, including us, and all things were created for Christ. So you and I have been created by Christ and for Christ. We never have to wonder, so why do I exist? What am I here for? You never have to wonder. You are here because Christ made you. So you are made by him and you are made for him. It's all about him. So we're here to glorify Christ. So we never have to wonder why we're here. But also, there's a real enemy out there who does not want Christ glorified. So he's going to stand against you and me glorifying Christ. That's the devil and his minions, all his demons. He's going to do all he can do to get us to not glorify Christ. We see this in the book of Acts. In Acts, Acts, we see the birth of the church, Acts chapter 2. Powerful church. People getting saved left and right, healed, delivered. Acts chapter 4, we have the first persecution of the church. What's happening there? The devil is coming against the church's expansion. So there's pressure from the outside. That's Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 5. There's pressure from the inside. The devil tries to get the church church to collapse morally. Acts chapter 6. The devil tries to get the church distracted from its main mission. And also in Acts chapter 6, the the devil tries to get the church divided because he knows a divided house cannot stand. So the devil knows this. He knows he cannot stop the message. So he must... Try to stop the messenger. He can't stop the gospel, the power of God for salvation. He can't stop it. So we got to try to stop gospel preachers. So what is he going to do? He's going to bring pressure from the outside to try to stop us. Intimidation. He's going to bring pressure from the inside to try to stop us. Moral compromise. He's going to try to get us distracted, trying to do all kinds of things, using our energy for everything but what matters most. And he's going to try to divide us. So the devil's going to try to do everything he can do to stop us. So what do we do? We have to resist him. 
Resist the devil, he will flee from you. We have to refuse to give in to the pressure. I tell you, we have to accept that if we're going to finish well, that we're going to swim upstream the rest of our lives. If we decide that we just get, oh, we're not going to swim anymore, I don't want to, I want to go against the current anymore, that we will, we will be taken with the current. And so I just, there is, there's no way to say, I am choosing civilian life during wartime. We are born into a real battlefield. And so we got to keep fighting, realizing there's a day coming. There's a day coming, the judgment seat of Christ, where it'll be worth every ounce of effort. It'll be worth every time I felt like quitting and didn't. It'll be worth it. Now, some of you, honestly, and I'm not asking for any show of hands or anything, but some of you, in all honesty, would say, you know, I'm here today, but I kind of quit already. I really quit. I'm really not treating God as holy. I'm, I'm compromising. I'm not living in the fear of the Lord. I'm not looking forward to the judgment seat of Christ. I'm on cruise control. And I would just say to you today that repent and get back in the fight. Repent, get back in the fight. Because that day that's coming for all of us is a day that is going to be the day that's going to be worth it all. Worth it all. It's so easy for leaders to say, well, I fought the fight for decades, and you know what? I'm just going to ride it out from here on. Can't do it. You must not do it. So you have a fight, you must fight. You have a fight, you must fight. Must fight. Secondly, learning from the Apostle Paul here, we have a race we must finish. You know, the book of Hebrews was written to a church that lost its wartime mentality and began to slowly drift, like most churches tend to do. Start to drift without focus, without vigilance, without energy. In fact, throughout the book of Hebrews, there are warnings about this drift. Let's pick up a few of them. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 and 3, the writer says, we must pay, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So into this church has crept the disease of drifting and neglecting. People in the church are growing careless. They become spiritually lazy and negligent. So the writer of this letter to the Hebrews is trying to urge them to get back, get back and finish the race. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. He warns, take care, brethren, 
lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So he said that they were no longer taking care. They kind of slipped into this lazy sense of security. This false notion that, you know, it's not that big a deal whether or not I read my Bible anymore. It's not that big a deal whether or not I pray anymore. It's not that big a deal if I go to church and don't go to church or catch every third service each month. Everything's going to be fine. All's going to be well. Well, the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, no, it's not. It's not going to be okay. Hebrews 5, verse 12, he says, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk, not solid food. In other words, they had digressed. By now, they should be teachers. But instead, they've, they've gone backwards. You know, and a lot of churches can do that. They, they start off with a bang, and then they, go, they get passive. And they can go into coasting mode. We're now, you know, they can be in coasting mode. And then finally, we get to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And all these verses are leading up to Hebrews 12.1. A lot of people go to Hebrews chapter 12.1 and 2 as, as this, this stands alone, this passage. Well, really, this passage is the culmination of the whole book of Hebrews. Hebrews 12.1, he says, Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So this command isn't coming out of the blue. It's, this is the point of the whole book. He's saying constantly through the book, endure, persevere, run, be alert, be strengthened. Don't drift, don't neglect, don't coast. Run the race set before you. Run it. Run it. Don't stroll, don't meander, don't wander about aimlessly. Run the race and run it to the finish line. You have to finish it. You have to finish the race. So let's just read this whole passage. Hebrews 11, 39 through 12, 2. It says, all, all, And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. He's talking about all the heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us they should not be made perfect. We'll all be re- get our resurrected bodies at the same time. But now to verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance or weight. And the sin which so easily entangles us, the sin is the sin of unbelief, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him 
Let me say that again. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Run the race set before you. And by the way, this race is not a sprint. It's a marathon. So we got to finish it. We got to run it all the way to the finish line. In order to do that, he says, lay aside every weight. When I was in a university track team, all the track guys, every year had lighter and lighter shoes. And they, and they had lighter and lighter shorts and jerseys because they don't want to carry one ounce extra because they want to make sure they could finish the race. And so he's saying, take those weights that are slowing you down this race. Is there stuff, is there stuff holding you back? He's saying, lay it aside. Now, as a Christian, I think sometimes we, we wrongly look at things in our lives and go, what's wrong with that? And what's wrong with that? And that's the wrong question. The wrong question is, what's wrong with that? The right question is, is that helping me run? Does that help me finish my race? Or does that bog me down? So Hebrews 12.1 is a command for us to look at our lives and think hard about being ruthless, what we should change, take out, you know, in our schedules and in our relationships and the way we waste time, all those kinds of things and say, how can I make sure I run my race to the finish line? I tell you, I wish uh, every one of us would just take your Bible and a notepad and a pen and get away for half a day or a day somewhere. And just say, Lord, I want to think about how I'm going to run my race the rest of this year. What do I need to do to run my race well? There's some, are there some weights I'm carrying I need, to, I need to lay aside? Is there some relationship that just, just drains me spiritually? I think we just need to look at how we can run our race so we can run it well. Now, he does give three motivations here for running the race well into the end. First is this great cloud of witnesses, verse 1. It says, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us run. So there's, there's this motivation. All these saints have gone before us. I just want you to imagine that you're running your race, and picture a marathon, and you're running your race, and I want you to imagine along the road are all these saints who've gone before you, going, keep going. You can do it. Don't stop. And they're high-fiving you. You got this. Picture that. That's the picture he wants us to get in our minds. I think they're saying things like, I finished my race. You can finish yours. Run it to the end. So that's the first motivation. Finishing the race is the great cloud of witnesses. Second motivation is Jesus. He says, look to Jesus or fixing our eyes on Jesus. So where do we look in this race? We look at Jesus. And this is a big deal because when Peter got out of the boat and walked on water, study the passage again. It's interesting. When he got out and walked on water, he was looking at Jesus, listening to Jesus. And then it says, then he started looking at the waves and hearing the wind. He started to sink. Anytime we get our eyes off of Christ and start looking at the circumstances, it's easy to be overwhelmed. 
and begin to sink. Or in this case with the race, begin to say, I, I just can't run anymore. I just won't run anymore. As opposed to getting our gaze back off our circumstances, back onto Jesus and finish this race. There's a third motivation, and that is the same thing that motivated Christ to finish his painful, agonizing race, and that is future reward and glory. Verse 2, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. So Jesus was looking forward to something. He was looking forward to future reward and glory, part of that reward and glory is his bride, which is the church, which is us. But, we, but in that, we have a model. And part of our model is Christ looked forward to the prize to finish his race. And we need to look forward to the prize to finish ours. Romans 8.18 says, The sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to the children of God. Therefore, run. Finish your race. So the Apostle Paul describes how he finished his race, I mean, how he led his life. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. I tell you, one of the things about keeping the faith is believing that it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it, the judgment seat of Christ. Again, some of you are familiar with the judgment seat of Christ, some of you aren't. The judgment seat of Christ is, a, is not a judgment about whether or not you go to heaven. Everyone who repents and believes in Jesus as their Savior and Lord goes to heaven. The judgment seat of Christ is a judgment for believers and it's a judgment for commendations and rewards, crowns, future assignments, the kingdom to come. And it's taken, this picture is uh, something that the uh, Greeks in Corinth understood very well. Because he's writing to Corinthians as he talks about the judgment seat of Christ. Because they had the kind of the pre-Olympic games, the Isthmian games. And the judge would stand on a raised platform and he'd watch all the athletes to make sure they follow the rules. And then he would reward those athletes who won the prize from this raised platform. So Paul takes this image that the Corinthians knew very well and says, that's how it's going to be with Jesus, the judgment seat of Christ. He's watching us all right now. He's watching us on our race. And there's come a time where he's going to reward us, commend us, for how well we ran. And that day is coming. And I tell you, that is, that is going to be a real day. I think we got to move this day out of the imaginary in our minds. That day has got to be real to us. This, this day is real to you. Right now, this is a real day to you. You're in this room. You know, you can look at your hands and you feel that this is a real day. There's a day coming that is going to be even more real, we're going to see Christ. And as, as the Bible says, his, his face 
shines like the sun. His eyes are a flame of fire, hair is white as wool. He's wearing garments of all white. It says, King of kings and Lord of lords. And you're going to look into eyes of infinite love. And you're going to see his lips move when he says to you, well done. And then says your name. And then he's going to reward you because you fought the good fight and you finished your race and you kept your faith. So my desire is I want to finish well. And I want you to finish well. So I urge you, keep fighting, keep running, and keep believing. Believing that one day it's going to be worth it all. No matter what pressure you have now, no matter what suffering, what loss, stay the course. Because it's going to be worth it. Let's stand for prayer. Father, we all want to finish well. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room, everyone online, everyone who's in earshot, my voice. Lord, would you strengthen us today by your spirit? Would you give us that, that same kind of vision that Paul had, longing for that, that crown and just wanting to finish well? And Lord, we long for the crown too, Lord, and most of all so that we can Take it off our heads and put it at your feet. So, Lord, we ask you today, strengthen us. I pray for those who feel overwhelmed with the desire to quit. Lord, that you'd strengthen them to keep fighting. For those who feel so tired they don't want to run, strengthen them to finish the race. For those, Lord, who've lost their perspective and that you regain it to believe, look forward to the judgment seat of Christ. And it's worth it all. Pray this in Jesus' name.